Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we bow before you again with thankful hearts for the privilege that we have to gather together on this Lord's Day evening to close out the day in worship, to close out the day in observing this ordinance of baptism. We thank you, Father, for what a wonderful privilege it is to gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ and be able to observe this ordinance of two who have professed you as Lord and Christ of their life, who have come to know you in a saving way and have demonstrated that and desire to be a part of this local body and follow Christ in believer's baptism. We pray, Father, that you would bless our time as we think upon this subject of baptism. We thank you, Father, for the truths that we find in Scripture concerning it, and we pray that we would be wise and have the wisdom that we need to not only understand it, but also know that if we are with Christ and in Christ, that we have experienced this wonderful ordinance in our life. Pray that you would send your spirit to teach us, for we know that all is vain unless he comes and teach us. We pray, Father, that you would be with those unable to be with us, meet their needs that they have, those who are sick, that your healing hand would be upon their body, those who travel, that you would give them safety and bring them back to us quickly. All this we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. You would take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and we'll read verses 3. And following. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were baptized with him through his baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, and that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Paul in speaking in this particular passage, includes himself with the rest of the children of God in speaking about baptism, as many as us, he says there. And he seems to be saying that some had been baptized, but they may not have really understood exactly what had occurred. They may not have really understood the meaning of baptism. They had, by faith, acknowledged that they had known Christ, but yet at the same time, even though they were recipients of baptism, they needed to be taught further on this particular subject of baptism. Now, we could say that that may be true with many of us here today. In that particular time frame, it may have been that some of them had still a false idea pertaining to the Old Testament ritual of washings, and there was numerous Old Testament rituals of washing, 
and those were carried over into the New Testament by some believers, and Paul had to address that particular issue. But they had never really understood what it meant to be buried with Christ, discerning the burial of Christ as spoken of here by Paul. Now, I wonder if all Baptists themselves understand the full meaning of this particular ordinance introduced by Christ himself. I say, I wonder. Well, I probably know that not all Baptists really understand this truth. I know even as a young individual myself, teenager, I didn't fully understand it. Um, as I've shared before, even though I walked the aisle and was carried into the baptismal pool as a nine-year-old, I was not saved until my later teenage years. And I thought, because I'd been carried into the baptismal pool as a nine-year-old, that that was sufficient. And then the pastor that was at the church that I was at began to preach on believer's baptism. And that baptism comes after one has truly professed Christ as Lord and Savior and been converted. So at the age of 27, not only I, but my wife, who a few months earlier had gone to the pastor and said that she realized that she needed to be baptized, and likewise, I needed to be baptized. Not rebaptized. Talking about baptized. Uh, we don't believe in rebaptizing anyone. I think I've shared the story before. I had a friend come up to me one day, and they said, Well, if I join your church, they were Presbyterian, would I have to be rebaptized? And I said, No, we don't rebaptize anybody. I said, You would have to be baptized, though. And he said, Oh, okay, I understand what you're saying there. Now, we have to continue to study passages such as what we're looking at here to clearly understand the subject of baptism and what, Jesus, I mean, what Paul is speaking of here about the spiritual baptism that takes place. Charles Spurgeon says, In heavenly things we see as much as we have within ourselves. He who has eaten Christ's flesh and blood spiritually is the man who can see this in the sacred supper. And he who has been baptized into Christ sees Christ in baptism. To him that has given to him shall receive abundantly. So Spurgeon making quite clear that we must see Christ in baptism just as we see Christ in the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And baptism sets forth the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And our participation in it as true believers indicates to us that we ourselves are following Christ and what Christ has demonstrated for us. Now, in this particular passage, I want us to see two things. First of all, I want us to see our representative union with Christ. He is our representative. And then the second thing that I want us to see is the realization of this union that we have with Christ as set forth in baptism. So I want us to look at these two important truths in this particular passage pertaining to baptism before we observe this ordinance. Now, I assured uh, Tim that this would be a shorter sermon than I normally preach on Sunday morning. He said, I can't wait to hear that and see that. Well, hopefully you'll hear that and see that tonight. First of all, our representative union with Jesus Christ is set forth in baptism as far as the truth to be believed. Our Lord Jesus Christ, of course, is the substitute for his people. We know that he died on our behalf. 
He died in our stead. He took our place. We know that we should have been put to death, but Christ was put to death for our sins. And that, of course, has to deal with the doctrine of justification. Jesus took our sins. He stood in our place. He was our surety. He suffered. He bled. And he died as our substitute. He made the perfect sacrifice for all of our sins. So therefore, he is our representative. And we are buried with him in baptism unto death and burial of Jesus Christ, as pointed out here in what Paul says, beginning there in verse uh, 3. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized in Christ were baptized into his death? He's speaking about that spiritual work taking place. He's not talking about the baptismal waters there. He's talking about what actually happened when we were born again that Christ took our place and therefore we were baptized with him in his death. So we see that baptism as a burial with Christ signifies first accepting that the death, burial, and resurrection was for you personally, that your eyes were opened up, that you saw that Jesus Christ died for you. So when our Lord came down and he took upon himself manhood, he became one with man. He became one with you and one with me, being found in the likeness of man. And it pleased the Father to lay our sins upon him. And we have to ask the question, do we believe that Jesus Christ is the bearer of my sins? You know, it's one thing to say, well, Jesus Christ and is the bearer for sins of man. No, we have to ask the question, is he the bearer of my sins personally? Did he go to the tree with the load of sin and suffer there on the tree for my sins? That personal aspect of it. And do I accept that the Lord Jesus Christ is my substitute, is my surety? If you do not, then you will bear your own guilt. You will bear your own sin and you must endure the wrath and justice of God come judgment day. So it's a personal thing that Paul is talking about here. By being buried with Christ in baptism, you are stating that the death of Jesus Christ was on your behalf personally. That you know that he died for you and that this symbol is symbolized in your belief and consent of this watery grave. That's the testimony that we will see in just a few moments. So we're not baptized into his example or his life, but we are baptized into what? His death, Paul tells us. And we confess that our salvation lies in the death of Jesus Christ. His death we accept as having suffered and died on our account. But there's more. We see that baptism is an acknowledgement of our own death, our own death in Jesus Christ. Why should a living man be buried? You only bury a man that has died. So my burial with Jesus Christ means that not only did I die, but I died in Him, in Christ. Therefore, my death with Him needs a burial, right? If I died with him, then therefore it must be evident that I have been buried with him. Christ died for us, and therefore he is with us. 
and the Lord Jesus Christ took the sins of His people because they are His people. He's the federal head, just as Adam was the federal head of all mankind in the very beginning, and when He sinned, all men sinned. And Jesus is the federal head of His people, the covenant of representing His people called the chosen. So therefore, He's the head of the body, He's the head of the church, and if a member sin, though the head hasn't sinned, it is he who must bear the consequences of the body. For instance, we all had parents, and we had the father of the home. And you being under the authority of the father of the home, if you did something particularly, usually who had to pay the price? I can remember one time as a child, I was throwing rocks and I was trying to throw them over the power line, but I was not looking what was on the other side of the power line. And all of a sudden I looked up and behold, I have busted a windshield out of a particular car, which was our neighbor's. Well, guess who had to pay for that? Well, my dad had to pay for that. Why? Because he is over my household. I didn't have any money. Of course, eventually I had to work it off and pay dad back. But yet he was responsible because he was the head of the household. And likewise, Christ is the head of his family. He is the head of the church. And this is the natural relationship, first of all, between Adam and all men, but then there is the second Adam, and we know that Christ is that second Adam. Of course, in, all, in Adam, all sin. And we know that in Christ, those who are in Christ, they are forgiven of their sins because Christ has taken their sins upon him. But we also see that he represents his death, burial, and resurrection by going to the cross and to the grave. So let us be buried in baptism that we may show to all that we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior and he died on our behalf and was raised on our behalf. So baptism is what we would say a living creed. And you may read it in these words, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you were raised with him through the faith of the operation of God, who has raised him from the dead. Now second, a realization of the union with Christ that is set forth in baptism. And this is a matter of what we would say experience. The true believer experiences a death. Know you not that so many of us, as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into what? Into His death. Now, it's contrary to all laws to bury someone that is alive. You know, they put out movies and kind of spooky, you know, people that are buried alive and they come back out of the grave. Well, there's no such thing as that. Uh, we know that when a person is dead, that's when the person is to be buried. Only those that are dead are to be buried. Now, I hope y'all remember that. If I ever get really ill, make sure I'm dead before you bury me. Now, Christians experience a spiritual death. I mean, first, death of dominion of sin. Before this death, when sin called on us, we replied, here am I. What would you have me to do? In other words, sin ruled our members. If sin said, do this, we usually did it. For sin ruled over every part of our nature because we were in bondage to sin. 
and exercised over us extreme control. We were saying, just like I mentioned last Sunday, Flip Wilson said, the devil made me do it. That's what we were saying, even though we were the one actually doing it. But we know that grace changed that. When our hearts were changed, we had a new heart that no longer wanted to sin. When we were converted, we became dead to the dominion of sin. Sin no longer controls us. Now, when sin calls upon us, we seek to refuse to come, for we're dead to it. And if sin commands us to obey it, we say no, if we're walking in the Spirit and submitting to the Word of God, because we know that it no longer has authority over us. Now, there's times when sin comes to us, and we find out that it begins to deal with that old corrupt nature in us that yet is still not fully put to death, and has dominion, but it has no dominion over us. So therefore, we're able to battle against it. And we thank God for giving us the strength to overcome sin. We know that sin no longer reigns in us, though it does attack us and it seeks to harm us. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but you are under grace. We do think, and with grief, we look back on our sin. We look back on our transgressions and how we wish we could go back and say we could remove those things. All we have to keep in mind in our mind is that God remembers them no more. We may remember them, but God says, I remember them no more. He has cast them into the depths of the sea. He has forgotten them. So therefore, we must likewise realize that Christ has paid the penalty and we too must move forward. Even though sin enters into our life and seeks to be an intruder, a strange, he's a stranger to us now. He'll seek to cause havoc in our life, but he does not abide on the throne of our life. He is an alien. He is despised. We no longer honor him. We no longer delight in sin. We are dead to the reigning power of sin. The believer is spiritually buried with Christ, is dead to the desire of the power of sin. And you may ask, don't godly men have sinful desires? Well, we know the answer is yes. But the old nature is being put to death. The lust towards sin is being put to death. And the true man desires to put it to death and to pursue holiness. A Christian's great desire is to never sin again. And that doesn't mean we won't sin again, but that's our desire to never sin again. And therefore, he seeks to do all that he can to avoid sin. Sin is no longer the pleasure of a saved man, but it's misery. And he cries out like Paul, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? And it's bending his soul toward holiness and he knows that Christ is able to deliver him from all sin so we are dead to the desires we're dead to the aims of sinning and having an ungodly life now if you profess to be God's servant you will not live constantly for yourself but you seek to live for God, knowing that God has saved you from your sins, that He's given you a new heart that desires to obey Him and live for Him, and your objection in life is to live for the glory of God. 
And if you're running after the pleasures of this world, if you're running after the riches of this world, you may win the prize that you're running for, but you cannot win the prize of that high calling in Christ Jesus. Now, the next thought in baptism is burial. Death comes first, as I've already mentioned, and then burial follows. Well, what is burial? Well, first, it is the seal of death. It's the certificate of the deceased. When someone dies, there is a death certificate. And that death certificate confirms that that person is dead. If a person has been buried, you don't ask, well, was he dead? No, you know he was dead if he's been buried. Now, someone can be immersed who has never really died with Jesus, and that sadly happens too frequently. Too many children are immersed in the baptismal waters who have never truly come to know Christ. That's the reason why there's so many baptisms that take place of those who were dipped in the water at an early age because they were not watched over and cared for as they should have been by both the pastor and the families. But yet they have come out of the grave water that they entered into no different. And that's sad. That's the reason why, as Brad shared with us a few weeks ago, 75%, is that what it was? 70-something percent of college students lead the faith when they get into college. Well, they've never experienced true conversion, even though they've gone into the baptismal waters. We must make sure that that's not the case. We must make sure that they understand what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be buried with Christ. There must be a death to this world so that burial with Christ is a seal of our mortification to this world. They can know a lot and still not be born again. I mean, think of Nicodemus. When Jesus spoke with Nicodemus, he knew a lot. He said, you are a teacher of the law. He was a Pharisee. He understood a lot about the Old Testament, but yet he had never been born again, and he did not even understand what it meant to be born again, even though the Old Testament clearly teaches what being born again means. So therefore, we must have the seal of death. Second, burial is displaying of death. When the funeral takes place, the person is carried to the grave and everybody knows that he is dead. So there's the displaying that this person has passed away. And this is what happens in baptism. A believer's death to sin is something that is no longer to be kept secret. But it is to be an open profession of faith to where one confess that he has been born again. In just a moment, we're going to have uh, Tim and Sylvia come and they're going to share how Christ worked in their life to bring him, bring them to himself. And therefore, they are publicly professing Christ through their testimony and they're publicly professing Christ as they go into the baptismal waters. So we have to understand that baptism is what we could call a funeral service by which death of sin is openly set before all men, that they have been buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness with Him. Third, burial is the separation of death. 
the man dead no longer remains in the house. He's taken away. He's put into a coffin. His corpse is no longer welcome into the house. I remember years ago, my brother-in-law was a pastor, and he was sharing about going over to one of his church members' house. He got a phone call from the wife, and she said her husband had passed away. So she goes, he goes over to the house, walks into the house, and she carries him into the room, and she has him sitting up in the bed even though he's passed away. And she begins to talk to him just as if he was alive. And my brother-in-law is standing there thinking to him, said, this man is died. This is a corpse, and we're talking to him as though he's alive. Well, that's silly. That's, that's foolish. We don't treat a man that has passed away as though he is alive. He's ready to be carried to the funeral home. He's ready to be put in the grave. Now, a true saint is put into a separate class with Christ according to these words. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. In other words, he will be put away in the same grave with the Lord. He said, they persecuted you and they have persecuted me. You are joined with Christ. There's that unity. Baptism represents resurrection. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism and death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. So the man who is dead in Christ and buried with Christ is also what? Raised with Christ in this wonderful work of grace. So the resurrection was a special work upon the body of Christ. After he had been in the grave for three years, he was raised from the dead. And that work of our head, our covenant head, was evident to all as he came forth from the grave, but he also promises that we will be raised with him as to our spirit. The resurrection, in one sense, has already begun. We have already been raised with Christ. Of course, we know that our body has not joined with him, but our spirit has. And on that appointed day, our body also will be raised with Christ. But God's grace has raised us up from the dead. We're no longer in the cemetery because He has made us alive. We were once dead in our sins, but we have been made alive unto righteousness. And this life is entirely new. We are to walk in newness of life. The life of a Christian is to be entirely different from this lost world. We are a new creation. And this life must also actively demonstrate the work of God's grace in our life. As he says there in verse 4, walk in the newness of life. And this walking is speaking about living, living a Christian life. And we are not content by simply sitting back and letting everybody else do what must be done as Christians. No, we are actively involved in the battle, putting on the whole armor of God, going to war against the devil and his schemes. The life that he's given those who are dead in Christ is a life that is energetic. It's a life that is forceful. forceful. It's a life that is busy with the work of Christ. And that's when a Christian is satisfied, when he's doing the work of Christ. And this is what Paul is telling us as far as what we are called to do in walk in newness of life. But this life is also eternal life. 
It will never cease, just as we spoke about God this morning, that His glory, His power, His reign over His kingdom will never end. It's eternal. And the life that we have as Christians is eternal life. It's a life no longer under the law or sin, but it seeks to live unto God. It seeks to worship God. It seeks to serve God. It's a, it takes its delight in living for God and worshiping Him, which is that eternal life. I close with a word to those who are unconverted. As Spurgeon says, lost sinner, if you do not know anything about this death, burial, and resurrection, you never will until you have power to become sons of God. And only God is able to give to as many as believe upon His name. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the truths of this particular passage pertaining to this spiritual death, burial, and resurrection, which is demonstrated in the water baptism which we are about to testify to. We thank you, Father, for these two who are going to come and to share about how Christ has brought them from the dead to the life and how they desire to be a part of this church. And we pray, Father, that as they share with us that we would pray for them and encourage them. We thank you, Father, for bringing them into our congregation and we thank you for their willingness to submit to you in this ordinance of believers' baptism. And we pray, Father, for those that are here who do not know Christ, that as a result of seeing the work of the Spirit in these two individuals' life, that they may be convicted and that they may have a desire in their own life to come to Christ, to follow Him in His death, burial, and resurrection, so that they too may have eternal life. And this we pray in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen.